Hello, I'm Pastor Daniel Flukey. Welcome to the Sermon Podcast from Christ the King and Living Hope Lutheran Churches. We are congregations of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, located in Port Washington and Saukville, Wisconsin. We believe God's love is for you. Here's our message for this week. The Holy Gospel according to Luke chapter 24. Glory to you, O Lord. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening, and the day is nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us. That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. The gospel of our Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our risen Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. So for the third week in a row today, our gospel story takes place on that first Easter Sunday. Two weeks ago on Easter, we heard about the two Marys going early in the morning to Jesus' tomb and finding it empty and then hearing from an angel that Jesus had been raised. And then last week, we heard about that evening, same day, Ten of the eleven disciples, remember there's eleven because Judas is not with them, 
10 of the 11 disciples were hiding in a locked upper room, and Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. But remember, Jesus had a lot more than 11 followers. Crowds of people had been following him, listening to his teachings. Back in Luke chapter 10, Jesus had sent out 70 disciples in pairs to go spread the good news. So there's a lot more than the 12, or the 11 now. And the 11 in that room are the core group, sort of the inner circle. But there are many others who believe in Jesus. And just like the 11, they are experiencing grief and trauma after his death. And one of those is named Cleopas. And on this Sunday afternoon, Cleopas and an unnamed companion are walking out of town. They're on their way out of town. And Luke does not tell us the name of the companion. There's a good chance, though, that it's Mrs. Cleopas, his wife. And the pictures won't necessarily reflect that, but it's quite logical to think this is probably his wife, who's also a follower of Jesus. And we don't know exactly why they're or where they're traveling, why they're traveling, we know where. But I suspect they're trying to get out of town. Same reason the other disciples are hiding in a room out of fear. After your teacher's arrested and killed, what do you do? Some of them go into hiding. Others of them are fleeing. Maybe they're from Emmaus. Maybe they have family there. And on their lonely trek out of Jerusalem, on that seven-mile road to Emmaus, they are processing what has happened. And on their way, Luke tells us, Jesus comes to walk and talk with them, but they do not recognize him. Have you ever had that experience of running into somebody and not recognizing them because they're out of context? Seems to happen to me a lot. You know that I'm very, most of you know by now, I'm very bad at names and faces. A few months ago, Kristen and I were at the Cedar Grove Belgian Band concert And I had this really awkward conversation with Miss Melissa, who is Micah's teacher at Here We Grow. And I'd seen her and I'd spoken to her pretty much every Tuesday and Thursday. In a different context, I had no idea who this was who knew me and was talking to me. It's strange in the story that Cleopas and Mrs. Cleopas don't recognize Jesus, but I believe it. This is not a context or a setting where they expected to see Jesus or to talk with him. After you witness someone dying, you do not expect to run into them on the road a few days later. That's not how it works. And I suspect Jesus himself might have looked a little bit different too. Maybe he got a haircut in the tomb. At the very least, he's not beaten up and bloody like he was the last time they saw him. And I wonder as I read that how often you and I miss seeing Jesus around us, seeing the face of Christ because he doesn't look like what we expect? How often do we miss seeing Jesus at work in the world around us because he's in places where we don't even think of looking for him, of looking for the Holy Spirit at work? So after Jesus comes up to these disciples on the road, he asks them, what are you discussing? And their response includes some of the saddest words in the Bible. Three words. We had hoped. Past tense. I wonder if any of you know what that's like. You know what it's like to have your hopes dashed, your plans disrupted, to discover that you've misunderstood something, 
and to be overwhelmed by forces beyond your control. And maybe some of you are experiencing that right now even. We had hoped, they say, we had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. And you can imagine the grief, the isolation, the confusion these two travelers are feeling. They must feel so foolish, so stupid for having put their hopes in this guy, for planning and dreaming, for thinking that this Jesus was actually the Son of God, the Savior who was going to redeem Israel. And the irony, of course, is that not only is he the one to redeem Israel and the whole world, that's exactly what he was doing when their hopes were dashed. That's why he died. But of course, they don't understand that yet. And as they walk, Jesus engages them in what has to be the ultimate Bible study, right? Going through the whole scriptures, interpreting to them the things about himself. And what I appreciate is that he doesn't just give them the answers right away. First, he lets them dwell in their questions and grief. He listens to where they are. Jesus doesn't just come and fix everything with quick answers. He journeys alongside them and explains and opens their eyes. And I don't know about you, but I find it incredibly encouraging that Jesus meets them as they are questioning, as they are wondering. These two are really good proof for us, I think, that you don't need to have all the answers all figured out and understand everything in the entire scriptures and tradition for Jesus to come and meet you. And when they finally realize who Jesus is, when they meet him, when they recognize him in the breaking of the bread, because maybe that sounds familiar to them, maybe they were there when Jesus did this, with 5,000 people or with 4,000 people, when he took bread and broke it and blessed it. Maybe they were even in that upper room or they heard what happened in that upper room at the Last Supper. But when they recognize him in the breaking of the bread, Jesus disappears and Cleopas and his companion immediately turn around and race back the seven miles all the way back to Jerusalem where they'd just come from to share the good news with the other disciples. And as Luke tells it, these two who met him on the road are still there in that upper room with the eleven when Jesus appears and says, peace be with you. And this is the last time that we hear of Cleopas and his wife or whoever this is. But I wonder what happened to them after this afternoon. Because even after all of this, the hopes and the plans that they'd had before are still disrupted. They won't get to spend very much time. Maybe they're there for some of those 50 days, but they don't get to spend very much time with Jesus before he ascends back to the Father. And there's even a decent chance that these two end up getting killed for their faith. Certainly nothing is ever going to be the same for them. But they have a new hope. Their hope is not just past tense anymore. It's for the present and for the future. They have a whole new understanding of God's promise, what God was doing in Jesus. They understand that good news that Peter, a few weeks later, will try to explain to the crowds on that Pentecost Sunday. And let's talk about that sermon that Peter gives for a moment. And this is on Pentecost. We're seven weeks after Easter, 50 days after Jesus is risen. 
And Peter has learned, of course, that Jesus is alive. And in that time, he and the other disciples have moved from where we found them last week, hiding in fear in a locked room, out to public proclamation, sharing the good news. And here he is, speaking openly to a huge crowd, giving a sermon. And as Will Williman, one of the best preaching teachers in the country, says, this is one of history's worst sermons. Short, ridiculously so. It's only a few verses. No illustrations. It's culturally insensitive. It's accusatory. It's without intellectual foundation. There's no connections. There's no bridge from here to there. But God is at work. And the Holy Spirit somehow takes Peter's words and uses them to change hearts and lives. The Holy Spirit takes the little bit that Peter has to offer and uses it to make an eternal difference. It isn't that encouraging for all of us. Williman says, I have no explanation for why, with this short, poorly illustrated sermon, Peter transforms a mocking mob into the first mass baptism in church history. But in that sermon, Peter tells us how to respond to the good news of Easter. We've heard the good news, and here he tells us what to do when we encounter Jesus, when our eyes are opened to this truth that Jesus is alive and present with us, walking alongside of us. Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter continues, for the promise is for you, for your children, for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls. This promise is for you, not just for the people in that first group of disciples on that first Easter Sunday, but for you and me 2,000 years later. This is what we do in response to the good news of Easter we turn around, we repent, we turn to Jesus to be our foundation in Christ alone. Because Jesus is alive, your sins are forgiven. You and I are included in God's promise. Our hope is real. And the sacrament of baptism gives us something to cling to, a means of God's grace to point to, when it seems like our hopes have been dashed, when it seems like everything is falling apart, that's what sacraments are, right? That's part of what we do as church. These are sacred moments in baptism and communion where Jesus promises to be present. Jesus promises to show up, means of God's grace refreshing us in faith, encouraging us in the hope and the promise of the resurrection. We look for Jesus to meet us in the water and the word of baptism, washing us clean, joining us to Christ's body, the church, Christ walking among us. Like the disciples, we recognize Jesus present with us in the breaking of the bread when we gather together around a table in the sacrament of communion, giving himself for us, nourishing us for the journey. The promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls. In the church, the body of Christ, Jesus is present. 
Our risen Lord is here with us, walking with you wherever you go. And as you reflect on this awesome love of the God who comes to be present with us on the road, may the peace of God's promise to be with you, the joy and the peace of the resurrection, the peace that passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, our risen Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. To learn more about the ministries of Living Hope and Christ the King, to ask for prayer, or to make a donation to support the work we are doing in Ozaki County, you can visit our websites at livinghopesockville.org or ctkport.org, or click the link in the show notes to find us online or on social media. May God bless you, and we hope you'll join us again soon.